10 p.m. in beautiful Tel Aviv, Israel, and this is an on-the-road version of Taxi TV Live. <laughs> Hello, everybody. How are you guys? Good to see you. Hopefully you can see me and hear me. Um, I know, let's see, let me check something, make sure that you do actually have me. Um, where is it? There, okay, you got me. All right. Um, <laughs> whoops, I'm hearing something from the office. Let me double check real quick. Oh, I'm gonna turn that off. Okay. Anyway, uh, yes, I'm in Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, we are on a working vacation. I'm here uh, visiting my two daughters that live over here and actually uh, meeting with a couple of companies uh, that do business with Taxi while I'm here as well. So there you go. Um, last week we had a, a pretty bad problem with an eight kilohertz tone uh, in the audio. I went out and I bought yet another microphone and tried that today. Bria and I did a little test and we still had the problem even with that mic. So I'm using the microphone that is the built-in microphone in my Logitech Brio webcam. And that's why you hear all this room. Uh, check this out. Now that's good reverb. <laughs> Whoa. And I've got the squeakiest stool you've ever heard that I'm sitting my butt on. Anyway, I'm excited. Last week went so well doing um, the Q&A stuff because a lot of people from Europe and elsewhere that normally can't make the live show because they're asleep when we do it are able to make this show because it's a little earlier for them, not the middle of the night. So I'm glad to have all you folks from all over the world on board. Um, yes, it is actual reverb. I've got to say, my wife and I were in an apartment building two days ago. It was like a 20-some story apartment building and we decided to walk down the stairs from like the fourth floor instead of waiting for the elevator because some workers were loading stuff in there. And I've got to tell you, 20 stories of concrete uh, stairwell in an apartment building sounded amazing. <laughs> it was like three and a half, four seconds of the most gorgeous reverb you've ever heard. Um, mandolin would sound cool in here um, yeah this apartment we're renting some from some friends of the family i'd say probably about a 1500 square foot apartment um and it's just it's got tile everywhere the entire thing is tile um and i'm looking over at the sliding glass doors there's about a i'd say 12 to 15 feet of sliding glass doors there's a window in front of me and just everything in this room. There, there's not a drop of carpet or draperies anywhere. Um, so sorry for the really reverberant sound, but gotta do what you gotta do when you're on the road. So let me get my mail open and check out um, the Q&A for Ask Michael Anything, the on the road edition. Let's see where that is. Here we go. All right, so let's jump right in. Uh, the first question is from Kelly Begley. Hello, Kelly. I just finished putting together a great holiday duet. When does Taxi receive requests for holiday songs? 
Um, in the not too distant future, I would say I, we always get a little smattering throughout the year, but generally speaking, I would say they really start to pick up around June, July, August. So over the summer, you'll start to see them and they pick up more and more as we get closer to the holidays. And obviously when it's like, you know, a couple of weeks away from the holidays, they slow down. <laughs> so they're coming right up, Kelly. Um, here's another question from Kelly. Does Taxi ever forward material to contacts slash singers if they feel it might suit a singer or even a group if the song was not solicited? Um, we don't. Um, it's, I mean, I can't say that we've never done it, but it's literally been a handful of times in all these years. Um, our, we reverse the business model. People come to us when they need something specific versus us knocking on doors. Hey, we heard a great song. It'd be perfect for you to cut. They get hit with that all the time from publishers. So the taxi model is that they come to us when they need something and they need it pretty quickly. So sorry to say we rarely, I mean, I, you know, I can't say that we've never done it. I'd be lying, but it's so rare that don't count on it. Um, next question is from Douglas Young. What is a normal fair split writers publishing sync in parentheses for a submission that's been accepted where the accepting publisher slash label wants a percentage? Um, typically the split is equal. Um, I'll tell you that in Nashville, um, which is a town that lives on, on co-writes, um, if there are two writers in the room, it's split 50-50. If there are three writers in the room, it's 33 and a third. Um, and, and there are cases where one of the three writers may not contribute anything to a song that particular day. Um, but they still give that person a third, even though their contribution was just showing up and maybe bringing over a cup of coffee or a sandwich or something. The reason they do that is that that person who didn't contribute much to this song this week or this meeting um, may contribute the hook that makes a hit in the next meeting. So it all comes out in the wash. And that's pretty much true for collaborations amongst taxi members as well as other people in the industry. Basically, it's almost always a, an equal split. Uh, I'm sure there are exceptions to that, but I honestly can't think of one. I'm just sure there must be somewhere, but I think that they're pretty rare. So that's that. Um, third question is from Mark Parr. How do music supervisors listen to music? Uh, is it on earbuds to check the mix? Um, or is it through closed back headphones? Um, honestly, this is only a guess, but it's a pretty educated guess. I would say that most music supervisors probably listen on small speakers, like the little Yamahas with like a six inch woofer and a tweeter in them, maybe a pair of NS10s. Um, many music supervisors also do test editing of material. Um, they may want to play it against picture. I'm sure that they play it against picture. Uh, to see how it sounds in context. Um, so they want to hear, uh, I, I don't think it's a fair statement to say that they prefer to listen on closed back headphones or earbuds. 
because most people won't be watching television. Um, at least half, maybe two thirds, won't be watching, uh, you know, on a phone. Maybe, maybe the kids do today. <laughs> Younger people probably watch more stuff on their phone and listen through earbuds, but. I don't think that music supervisors are listening to the mix going, hmm, I wish that mix had a little more reverb on it, or I wish it had a little more, you know, 4.3K on the lead vocal. They're not listening for that stuff. They're just listening, does the mix sound good? They're looking for an overall good mix. Are things well balanced? Um, I don't think they get so granular. They're looking more for things that just don't sound good if that makes sense. In other words, if something just, if the mix sounds so off that it's not broadcast quality and not usable, that they would want to know. And it frankly wouldn't matter if they're using earbuds, closed back uh, earphones, or open earphones, or speakers, they know their system. That's what they consistently listen on. So they can tell because they're familiar with their own gear. So they can tell if a mix is off enough that it's not right for a show and it may be a case where um you know let's say it's a, like a pop punk thing um and the guitar is just really edgy and maybe like overly bright at somewhere like 2.5k or 3k somewhere up there um to the point where it would cut through too much um they may actually play it and, and roll off if they hear an offending frequency and go you know what, if I roll off a little 3K, that works, and I'm sure that whoever is mixing the show would pick that up and deal with it. It's workable and, and forward it to the executive producer. Um, uh, Lola, I, I see some questions popping up. Um, save them for later, because I'm, I'm dealing with the questions that were emailed before the show, but I will be happy because I don't have enough to fill the whole 90 minutes. I'll be more than happy to answer your questions from the chat room in a little bit. Um, also, I'm drinking coffee at 10, 11 p.m. here in Israel, um, so I can stay perky for you guys. That's actually a pretty good cup of coffee, gotta say. Um, okay, moving down the list. Um, this is also from Mark Parr. He says, I also have a question regarding a situation I found myself in last year. I was approached by a music publisher after a couple of my tracks were forwarded to them by taxi. Yay. Uh, they requested that I write two albums for them. Yay. Um, and did you let us know about that, Mark? I hope so, because um, we'd love to put it in the newsletter. Um, it's funny, you know, uh, if I may digress for a second, people often say, and I've got to take this off the website, there's a very old uh, FAQ question on our website that we came up with this number after doing a, a survey and some math probably 12 or 15 years ago or more. Um, people often ask, what's your success rate? And we came up with 6% saying 6% of our members will actually sign a deal. What we didn't factor into it is now so many of our members um, 
make an initial contact through Taxi and get a song picked up by a publisher, but the publisher probably nowadays follows up, says, do you have more stuff? Well, yes, I do. I've got seven more songs in that genre. Or can you make an album for me? And they develop an ongoing relationship. So it almost becomes geometric at that point. Um, so that 6% number is way low, and I really need to remember to change that on the website. Um, so thanks for reminding me to do that, Mark. Um, anyway, the, the company, the publisher he was forwarded to by taxi asked him to write two albums for them. After he started writing the albums, um, another publisher who I had previously signed a couple of tracks with asked if I could write them seven tracks. I explained that I already had committed to writing two albums for another publisher. I asked them if they need the material very soon because if not, I could start on the tracks as soon as I'd completed the two albums. That was the right answer to give them, by the way. I also said that if they wanted them ASAP, I'd have to politely decline as I wouldn't want to let them down. They probably thought you were professional for doing that, so don't feel bad about that. I did not receive a reply from this publisher. I wouldn't sweat it that much. Um, they're just busy, you know. They really don't want to be in the business of engaging in a lot of back and forth, so if you didn't have what they needed, they just moved on to the next person that did, but they probably respected you for being honest and saying, no, nope, can't do it. Um, and you were playing professional about it, so that was a good move on your part. Um, once I completed the two albums, I emailed them again, but once again, I got no reply. I believe that I was open and honest with them throughout. I didn't make promises that I couldn't keep, and I believe that I acted professionally. Uh, I'm still unsure as to why there was no response to my emails. I mean, there's some possibility the publisher was being a bit of a jerk. Probably not. It's really probably just a case. They're so busy all the time. They spend the vast majority of their time pitching music and filling orders from music supervisors. And I mean, some of them are good at hand-holding, but very few of them will take the time to do it. They don't get paid for hand-holding. They get paid for getting placements, which is good for you guys. If they don't make placements, they're not making money, you're not making money. For every minute they spend responding to emails, um, that's another minute that they're not pitching and making both of you money. So I wouldn't worry about it that much, honestly. Um, the day will come again when they will reach out to you for something. And if they don't, I mean, you know, we get to know the companies we work with. If they're jerks, we don't want to work with them either. We don't want our members to meet them or work with them. Um, we've had very, very few instances over the years where we just thought, wow, that publisher's kind of an ass. Um, so I wouldn't worry about it. I think it's more a matter of them just being busy and responding to your email wasn't their um, income stream priority at that time. So I wouldn't worry about it so much. But, and I think you handled it perfectly, not just well, but exactly the way you should have. Um, all right, the next question is from Felix Johansson. Hi, as a new member of Taxi, I just had a question about possible conflicts with participating in songwriting competitions on Taxi. Um, could artists slash libraries be reluctant to receive, oh, so like artists that are looking for material or music libraries, be reluctant to receive and use songs that have been profiled in competitions, and could the same be the case with competitions? 
that they prefer songs that have not been used by others or are in a library. Well, I would not pitch stuff that you've got in a library to competitions. Um, you've signed a contract with the library, especially if it's an exclusive contract. Um, they wouldn't want that material out there in, in the wild because they're the ones that have the exclusive right to pitch it. And I mean, you could always reach out to the library and say, uh, is it okay if I submit this to a song contest? They may ignore the email, they may say no. There may be rare instances where they'd say yes. Um, that's more likely to happen with a non-exclusive than with an exclusive, I would guess. Um, and I don't think that they're so worried if you've got a song that you entered into a songwriting competition, let's say in 2020, and now you're pitching that same song through taxi or whatever means you're using, and the library wants to sign it, um, I don't think that they would have a problem knowing that it was in a competition. There may be a problem if you're fortunate enough that you actually won the competition and that song appears maybe on the Songwriting Contest website. Um, the publisher may have an issue with it being on their website. Um, then again, they might like it because maybe they could somehow make performance money on it or something, get something from Harry Fox. I don't know which one of the many companies that collect money for music usages now would actually collect or if they could collect from that scenario. But I, I don't think that's a problem. Um, it, you know, that you pitched it to a competition before, even made a, you know, to a semi-finalist or something like that. If you're a winner and it's on their website, that may be an issue. I tend to think not, but I could be wrong about that. I'm rarely wrong. Just ask my wife or kids. Actually, I'm always wrong. Um, let's see. Okay, moving on. This one is from Mark Noble. I copied and pasted lyrics once for review along with a song and was verbally spanked for it, but no education on how to do it correctly. Um, I'm not sure if I understand this. So does that mean that you copied and pasted the lyrics uh, for a taxi submission? Um, you just said for review along with a song. Was verbally spanked for it. Um, who spanked you? Um, <laughs> I, I don't think I have enough information to speak intelligently about this or answer it correctly. Um, can you speak to or send a link on how to do it correctly? Um, honestly, if, if this had to do with a taxi listing and a submission, you're probably best off just um, asking this question of member services and they'll probably ask you for the information that I'm not getting here. Um, so they can fully understand it, but they're extremely capable um, and extremely generous with their time and knowledge, and I'm sure that they will be happy to help you with that. Um, Mark also said, I see requests for broadcast quality. Can you clarify that a bit? Um, if it means I have to spend $1,000 and up to see if it might be a worthy song, I won't waste anyone's time on those, just don't have that kind of budget. Again, I'm not entirely sure what you mean, but I'm guessing this means that you use outside studios rather than doing 
your own engineering production at home. And you're, I think you're asking, so you want to know what broadcast quality is um, because in order to get what you think broadcast quality is, you would need to go to an outside studio and drop a thousand bucks and you don't want to do that just to make the quality bar. So let me at least answer the broadcast quality part. Um, I answer this question a lot. Many, many people, um, sorry for the squeaky stool. Uh, many, many people don't really understand what it means. And it means a combination of things. It's not just, is it sonically wonderful? Is it sonically excellent? Um, without patting myself on the back too hard, I actually coined the term broadcast quality for our end of the industry. Because um, it used to be there was demo quality and there was master quality. Demo quality is pretty obvious. Um, at least it used to be back in 1992 when I came up with this. Um, demo quality was usually somebody with four tracks or eight tracks at home. Um, maybe they had an Alesis ADAT um, and maybe they had three ADATs running together and had 24 tracks, could do pretty good recordings at home. Well, nowadays, anybody that, that's got a DAW on their computer um, can certainly make broadcast quality. Frankly, you can make record quality tracks. So back, back then in 1992, or at least somewhere in the early 90s, I wanted to differentiate the difference between um, demo quality, which was generally not that great. It was like a decent sketch of a song slash recording. And then there was like, you know, master quality, studio quality um, that was probably done in a pro studio of one form or another. I saw an ad in a videography magazine of a Panasonic camera and it said broadcast quality. And I thought, well, that's the term for, for what we're looking for here. Is this music recorded well enough that it could be broadcast? Um, does it have to be at the same standard as a hit record? Um, it's getting closer and closer to that all the time because hit records are made on laptops. Um, sometimes hit records are made on an iPad. Um, you know, micro, inexpensive microphones sound great. The recording, uh, the, the workstations sound great. The plugins sound great. So if you can master that stuff, you can make record quality or master quality stuff on your laptop or your home studio. Broadcast quality means it's cleanly recorded. It means it's a well-balanced mix, but it can mean different things in different contexts. Um, I use this example all the time. Somebody like, you know, early Bob Dylan, um, try to think of somebody, you know, but a, a scratchy, gravelly, kind of lo-fi singer-songwriter. Um, you hear stuff that makes it into TV shows and movies all the time that's just an acoustic guitar. I always say, you know, with like the same strings that came strung with at the factory, they're probably rusty and 10 years old. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the, the vocal is kind of gravelly sounding, um, but the balance, the basic balance between the guitar and the vocal is there. It doesn't sound spectacular, but it sounds appropriate for the kind of song that it is. And there are records that are songs that make it onto albums these days that I'm sure people have recorded when they're on the road uh, using their, their Mac laptop, which I'm talking into now. Uh, 
the built-in microphone, um, even that stuff in the right context is appropriate for that kind of recording and would be considered broadcast quality. But it's not just the audio. Um, if somebody like, you know, Neil Young or Bob Dylan is kind of an acoustic singer, songwriter that can be pitchy at times. <laughs> Sorry, Neil. Uh, but they're pitchy in a good way. Their pitchiness, they may not hit the note, but that's part of the personality of the vocal they're delivering. So in that context, um, a pitchy vocal could still be considered broadcast quality because of the type of artist and the type of song it is. However, if you're doing something, you know, like a, a top 40 pop record, that wouldn't have a pitchy vocal on it. So if you had a great recording, you know, just great engineering, wonderfully produced tracks, but the vocal was pitchy on it, that would take it out of contention for being broadcast quality because it's no longer broadcastable because people would be going, what? <laughs> that vocal sounds pitchy. Whereas if they heard that in the context of Neil Young or early Bob Dylan um, or Tom Waits, it would be kind of par for the course. So I hope that clears things up for you on the broadcast quality aspect. Um, so yeah, if you've got to go to an outside studio and spend a thousand dollars to make a track, um, honestly, the best advice I can give you, and I, I give this advice a lot, and I know it seems like something that may be insurmountable for you, but go get Logic Pro. Um, you can get it for two hundred bucks and put it on your computer. Go buy yourself a hundred to two hundred and fifty dollar microphone. Um, buy yourself a, an interface that'll be, you know, 150 bucks for a pretty decent one, sometimes even cheaper. Um, that's what you would plug the microphone into in order to get that into Logic Pro. Um, and then start learning how to use that stuff. I, the majority of our members do have home studios and use them pretty darn well too, incredibly well. And we hear stuff that comes in from our members that sound like records, really good records. Um, we hear people that are just learning and you go, you know what, you're on the path. It sounds pretty darn good. And all of them will tell you that they felt exactly like you feel right now. Like I'm not a techie person. Um, I'm tech phobic, tech phobic. This seems just too hard for me to accomplish. And a year or two later, they're cranking out great material. So if they could do it, I'm pretty sure you can do it as well. That way you won't have to spend a thousand dollars every time you want to record something. So please take that to heart, give it a shot because the vast majority of people would do it eventually find they look back and go, I can't believe I didn't learn how to do this years ago. It opens up an entirely new world for you. Um, all right, moving on. Scrolling down. Okay, this one's from Laura Reynolds. I'm seeing ads, I think she means listings, for reimagined covers of existing songs. Where is the line between a cover and a derivative work? Um, a cover is a cover. A cover is the same melody and the same lyric, but they're looking for reimagined covers, which means 
a song that used to be an up-tempo song, um, like an up-tempo, let's say Every Breath You Take uh, by The Police. We all know what that sounds like. Now let's say that you did a reimagined version of it where you slowed it way down and maybe bathed the reverb or the, the vocal track in reverb and did one of those ethereal, slow, I'm not going to sing it for you, but I can hear it in my head, uh, a slowed down version that's like haunting and ethereal. That's a reimagined cover. Um, conversely, you could take something that used to be a slow, pretty song and turn it into an edgy pop rock song. Um, something that previously was done maybe with, you know, lush strings and, you know, like a Barbra Streisand song and turn that into something that's a punk song. That's what a reimagined cover is. So you own that master recording. That's your recording. Their original recording was their original recording, but now you've got their song, their composition, but you're using your recording, your interpretation of it, but it's still their lyric and their melody. So you don't own any publishing on that. They still own the publishing. So if a library through Taxi, Production Music Library, which is a film TV publisher, signs it, what they're signing is the right to represent your master recording. Now, let's say you do a cover of Every Breath You Take, and that's going to get used in a TV show. <clears throat> and uh, the TV show then uh, will have to license the composition from whoever controls the publishing on Every Breath You Take, and they will license your master recording from the production music library. So I hope that makes sense. Um, I feel a bit hesitant, uh, Laura goes on to say, I feel a bit hesitant to submit anything to these listings unless I know I'm clear on copyright infringement. No, you're not infringing the copyright. Um, they still own it. Whoever is the owner of the copyright still owns it. Um, they still control it but they don't own your master, and that's your moneymaker, is your master. So you don't have to worry about infringing any copyright. Um, if there is music, uh, this is more from Laura, if there is music that has been excerpted into an exclusive agreement with the music library, are you, the composer, still free to release that music on your own records? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by excerpted. I mean, I know what the word means. Um, got a decent vocabulary, I guess. Uh, but excerpted into an I mean, I think you mean if I've signed something, if I've signed a piece of my material um, in an exclusive agreement with the music library, are you, the composer, still free to release that music on your own records? A couple of things could happen. Um, technically, you're probably free to release it, although I would certainly check with the library. It's just if, if that is getting used anywhere where it's going to generate any form of income stream, the library is actually going to make the money because they now own it and control it. So they would actually, even though it's yours, they own it and control it now. 
um, and you still own the writer's share, so they would actually make the money from you releasing it. Um, you should always check with them. Some libraries would say, no, I'd prefer that you don't. Others might say, sure, go ahead. Get it out there because every time somebody streams it, I, the publisher, am making money. So there you go on that. Um, boy, Laura, you got a lot of questions in here. You are a, a busy person. Um, can you recommend some books or resources on filing taxes for musicians in the USA? Um, duh. <laughs> I'm rarely stumped. I can't think of one that talks about taxes. However, um, the Braybeck, Braybeck, Todd Braybeck, Braybeck, B-R-A-B-E-C, Todd and Jeff Braybeck. Um, wrote what is probably the most intensely detailed book on how publishing works. It's very technical, it's very thick, it's very thorough. Um, I honestly can't remember the name of it right now and I don't want to Google it, so Bria or Liz, if you could look it up um, and post it in the chat please with the link to the book at Amazon. Um, probably the best book and I'm guessing if there's a, a publishing book out there that talks about taxes um, I'm assuming Laura that you may be outside of the USA or maybe not can you recommend some books or resources on filing taxes for musicians in the USA I don't know you might be best off googling that and looking for the answer rather than buying a book and hoping that it's in there um, This will be the first year for me bringing in income, well congratulations on that, with music compositions and I particularly want to know how to deal with the expenses. Well, I can give you, uh, I'm not an accountant, uh, I'm not a world-class authority on this, um, so consider this information for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> but yes, you can write stuff off if they're legitimate expenses. If in order to get your music created, you need to buy hardware like a computer or a microphone or speakers or a MIDI keyboard, um, you can write off that, that, that hardware, um, certainly software. Um, anything that is part and parcel to making, getting your creation produced so that it can then be pitched signed and exploited down the road, yeah, you can write that off. Um, you would get yourself in trouble. Let's say that your income was $2,500 this year. If you tried to write off $100,000 worth of gear, but you only generated $2,500, that might be a red flag for the IRS. Again, I'm not an expert on this stuff. I've just been told by experts that you don't want your expenses to look out of balance with your income. If you were generating $100,000 a year in income and you um, want to write off $20,000 uh, of expenses and you kept your receipts, I, I think that would be okay. But again, I'm not an expert on this. You should probably, your accountant, whoever does your taxes, 
could probably advise you on that better than I. Um, and what is, I see the link to the Brayback book. Can you also put the title of the Brayback book in the chat, please? Um, can you explain how deals with music libraries work? Um, honestly, that's an entire episode, but I do have some time that I can burn, so I'll talk about it. Uh, I don't know that this will be all-inclusive with every bit of information. Um, I'm just doing this shooting from the hip. Um, music libraries are publishers. They're not like a typical publisher in the, on the record side of the industry. Um, music libraries um, are film and TV specific. They sign your music. They represent it either exclusively, meaning nobody else can represent it. Um, over the last 15 years, people have been doing non-exclusive deals, meaning that you can also take that same piece of music and give it to two, three, four other companies who will also exploit it, but they will retitle it so that it's not to be confused with the original. Let's say you wrote, you know, Mary had a little cow. Uh, the second library may retitle it as Mary's cow was little. Somebody else may say the cow was owned, or may call it the cow was owned by Mary. Some derivative take on the title. It's still the same master recording, it's still the same composition, but they each have the right to shop it um, or to plug it, as it were. Uh, the problem becomes that, let's say a music supervisor puts the word out to the music library community that they're looking for a song about a little cow or a cow and a pastor, whatever. Uh, and several of the libraries each pitch the same song by you, the same recording by you, under different titles. Um, there can be massive confusion as to who should get paid for that. So some people are very much against non-exclusive. Other people, I, I do know some of our most successful members will put stuff in non-exclusive libraries, but only put it in that library. So they kind of treat it as exclusive, but they've signed it with a non-exclusive library. Um, other people will take the same thing. Some of our successful members have taken the same thing and put it in five libraries. Um, there is that potential that I spoke of where multiple people could pitch it to the same thing. Then it really becomes a problem for the supervisor as to which one should get paid. Um, in theory, I personally believe that whoever got it to them first is the one that should get the credit and, and get the cash. Um, other libraries may say, nope, I got it there first. Now you're playing the game of um, who got it there first and the supervisors may not want to play that game. Many of the networks um, don't want to use non-exclusive music. Um, but there are many, many people in the industry that don't care that it's non-exclusive. So there's no easy answer. Bottom line is they are in charge of getting your music into television shows, into video games, into TV commercials. And basically most music library deals today are 50-50 deals. Sometimes, and this happens less and less every year, sometimes they'll actually pay you a buyout fee up front. They'll say, 
I want to pay you for the composition and the master recording. I'll give you 200 or 300 or 500 dollars up front um, for this. And now I own the master recording, meaning I the library, I own the master recording. Um, I also own the composition, but you still keep the writer's share. Out of every publishing dollar, um, half of that money goes to the publisher and half of it goes to the writer. Uh, so let's say that somebody, oh, I forgot to mention, a lot of libraries nowadays will not pay you an upfront fee and they still want to own the entire publisher's share and the master recording. However, if they license it for a feature film and they get $6,000 for that, in their contracts, more often than not, they will split that $6,000 with you. So while some libraries may give you 200 bucks up front because they bought it from you, they may not split that $6,000, which is called the sink fee. Others that don't pay you an upfront fee for the buyout will pretty much routinely, there are probably exceptions, but most of them will split the sink fee with you. So you would get 3000 bucks plus you would get 50% of whatever money is generated from the publishing realm because the publisher makes half of it and you, the writer, make the other half. Now, the library doesn't send you the money for the publishing, for the public performance. Um, that comes from your PRO, be it ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, or if you're from a, another country, whatever the PRO is in that country. So when the music is played, let's say on TV, um, and let's say that it generates $3,800 in performance money, um, then and let's say that ASCAP is your PRO. So when the show goes in, uh, when the song goes into the TV show or an instrumental, a cue sheet is filled out typically by the editor or by an assistant editor, sometimes by interns. They fill out a cue sheet, what the royalty splits for, any information that helps to get the money to the PRO, who then later disseminates the appropriate amount of money to you. It may take three months, six months, nine months, a year. Typically six months to a year is probably the window. If your piece of music ends up, let's say you're in the United States, your piece of music ends up in the UK in a TV show, then it's gonna go from the UK PRO six months after it airs. They're going to send the money and whatever details there are to ASCAP or BMI. So it could be a year to a year and a half before you get paid the performance royalties on a foreign airing of your music. Um, so that's kind of a, a broad stroke overview. I hope that helps you understand the business. Um, there are several books that, you know, the publishing industry and the, rec the record side of the industry and publishers that work in the record side of the industry, in my personal experience, don't really understand the music library business. A lot of music attorneys that are used to working in the record side of the industry don't really understand the music library business. Um, 
one of our members, a gentleman by the name of Steve Barden, uh, wrote a book, which Liz or Bree, if you guys can post that in the chat as well with the title and the link, that explains it really well. So I recommend that you spend 15 or 20 bucks, whatever that book costs. Um, you'll learn a lot. It'll be well worth whatever you spend on it. Um, let's see, Dean Crepain, one of our members, uh, wrote a book called uh, Demystifying. One of his books is called Demystifying the Genre. The other one's called Demystifying the Q, I believe. Um, and one or the other, I believe, explains that as well. Um, so there you go. Um, writing production music for TV, The Road to Success by Steve Barden. Yep, that's the book. Um, Okay, uh, you asked what broadcast quality means. I think I explained that about 10 minutes ago, so there you go. Um, is it automatically 48 kilohertz sample rate or 41, 44.1? Okay, any other criteria? Honestly, that doesn't have much to do. Um, that's more of a preference as to how the libraries want stuff delivered. Um, and, and the people in the chat room can tell you. Um, there's not a music supervisor that I'm aware of that's going to look at the sample rate on something and go, oh my gosh, um, no, we can't put that in our TV show because the sample rate is wrong. Um, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, okay, this one's from Sheldon Gardner. You often have listings for contemporary instrumentals pop, rap, R&B, but there are no instrumental references, only references with vocals. Um, if there is that high, that high of a demand for these instrumentals, how come the person who requests the instrumentals cannot provide you with samples in the instrumental realm? Uh, that's a great question, and I sure wish they would. It would make our lives so much easier. It would make your lives easier. Here's the problem, I think. Again, going back to the libraries make money when they're busy pitching. They're making money and you're making money. So uh, the less time they spend on other things like hand-holding or answering emails from a thousand composers they may have or more in their libraries, um, the less time they're making money for them and for you. So oftentimes um, they don't even, sometimes they'll go into their own library and say, I'm looking for something like this. But some are reluctant to give those examples of stuff that's already in their library because they don't want to upset the composers that are in their catalog. It's like, hey, you're using my thing um, to help other people create music that will ultimately compete with me in your catalog. I can understand that. Other libraries just don't want to take the time to do it. And they'll say, yeah, you know, find me um, pop songs like uh, Billie Eilish. I'm looking for, you know, like lush vocal moody pop songs like a Billie Eilish song. Um, or instrumentals that sound like Billie Eilish, you know, without the lush vocals. And that's the reference they give us. And then we have to look at that and go, okay, 
what makes this work. We analyze it, then we spend the time going through looking for other references. But we can't give you references from other libraries um, or, or the library it's coming from. However, we are seeing a few more examples. We're seeing more and more of this, just not enough of it yet to make me happy, where the libraries are actually given, giving us examples. They just don't want people going to their websites. So what they do is they'll create um, you know, a folder, a file folder somewhere on wherever. Uh, and they give us the link to it and when we publish the listing you guys click on the link and you can hear it. So we are seeing, uh, if I had to guess, shoot from the hip, maybe three companies that are doing that right now. A couple of years ago that was no companies. We encourage them to do it. They just don't really want to take the time. They don't want to ruffle any feathers with their other composers. Um, so there's your answer. And quite frankly, they're looking for stuff. Um, it's gotten easier and easier to make great quality recordings, great productions now. They want stuff that sounds like a Billie Eilish record. So rather than digging out stuff from their catalog that kind of sounds Billie Eilish-like, and they may not even have anything because if it's new and cutting edge, they may not have anything like that in their catalog yet. So they will use the Billie Eilish reference because they wish they could find stuff that sounds like that. And frankly, it's incumbent on you, the composer, to sit down and go, okay, so listening to Billie Eilish, what about this, you know, makes this arrangement, this production, this engineering, these instrument sounds, what makes that stew sound like Billie Eilish? Minus the vocals, which I know is a pretty important part of a Billie Eilish record. She was just the best example I could come up with at the time. Maybe not the best one, if I took a little more time. Um, so yeah, I wish that more people could do that. I don't know that we'll ever get the majority of them um, to be willing to give us examples from their own catalogs. They probably would not want us to use examples from other people's catalogs, because frankly, they don't want you to click on a link, hear that from somebody else's catalog online, a competitor's catalog, and they go, oh, maybe I should submit my music to that company instead. So the, all these little factors go into the reasons that they probably don't do it, my best guess. All right, so those were all the questions that were emailed. Um, there is a question, if I may, that I wanted to answer last week, and I didn't get to it. Um, let's see. No, I can't find it quickly enough. All right, how's the streaming going? Um, are we doing okay? I'm not seeing any drops here, but just now when I went and looked at uh, one of my pages, it says that YouTube wasn't getting enough signal. Um, are we okay stream-wise? Let me check to see if I've heard. No, nope, haven't heard from Bria or Liz. So I guess we're doing okay. Yay, five by five. Yeah, baby. Uh, all right. You know, I know where I can find that question. Um, let me go to the taxi forum. 
F-O-R-U-M, forums at taxi.com, taxi TV. This was submitted for last week's show, but I didn't see it till after the show. <laughs> this is from Super Blonde, who I think is probably pretty smart. Sometimes gives me little jabs, gives other people jabs as well. Anyway, question one, have you considered a 21st century method of submission feedback? This is the one um, that I saw the other day, and I wanted to address this one on today's show. Feedback is currently written. This also takes the staff time after listening. How about recording real-time audio, vocal mic feedback of submissions, which can be recorded simultaneously into a microphone while listening to the submissions on headphones? This eliminates staff time and may result in better feedback in many cases, since submissions are reviewed in remote locations now, screeners, home studios. Um, there's no noise conflict. Well, hopefully when COVID is over, the screeners will start working back in the office again. Um, so there's no noise conflict from multiple office cubicle neighbors if recording voice feedback while listening simple iPad voice memo would be high enough quality to do this. Uh, well, Super Blonde, as much as I love you and respect you and know that you seem to be a pretty smart person, um, that just doesn't work. We tried that around, I want to say around 2001 or 2002. Um, we tried having some screeners uh, do live recordings and we got a lot of, um, uh, oh crap, uh, uh, let me rewind. Uh, we got a lot of that. Um, managing those audio files would be a train wreck. Um, yeah, you get a lot of ums. Uh, <laughs> and even though screeners are right now uh, working out of their own homes, they have barking dogs. They have families. Um, they have other distractions that may leak into that. It just doesn't work well. I know that NSAI used to do that. Um, and frankly, some of our members sent me some examples. There were some good examples, but more often than not, uh, the examples that I heard, somebody sent me like 10 different examples, probably around 2001 or 2002. They were encouraging Taxi to do it, so we thought we'd give it a try. And we ran into the same problems that they had with it. It's just stammering and ums and ahs and oh crap, what did I, no, I didn't mean it like that. It, it just didn't work. So there's your answer. Thanks for asking a good question though. I appreciate it. All right, now let's go to the chat room and answer some questions there. If you would be kind enough to type the word question in all caps so that it pops out nice and neat on the uh, chat room, then I will notice it and I will take them live as they come while I sip my coffee. I'm, I can't believe I'm drinking coffee at 11 o'clock at night. It tastes so good though. Okay, looking for that word. Question. I 
think this is a question from Binary Me. Fun question. Hey, so why not like the SoundCloud comment format <clears throat> inline real time? I can do the coding and set that up for you if you like. Um, are you a taxi member? Have you seen our critiques? Um, it's, I don't think it's so applicable to the... I think that the stuff on SoundCloud is more like brief little fan comments. Um, so I don't think that would work. I mean, we've certainly got somebody that could do the coding on that, but uh, not loving that idea. Um, looking for another question. Here's one from Lola. I was approached by a music publisher through Taxi, but the publisher has no recent updates for years on his website and the company is not on social media. Is it a red flag? Honestly, if they made it through our vetting system, it's probably a really good company. Again, they're not in the business um, sitting around, ooh, I'm gonna post on social media. They're not in the business. And frankly, I've, I've seen some really excellent libraries whose websites suck. They're just terrible because they're all about pitching music. They're not all about, frankly, <laughs> I, I think you're right in looking at a bad website or a not updated website going, oh, are these guys any good or not? I can understand why you'd feel that way. They are just so busy pitching all the time because that's where the money tree is that they just don't take the time. They probably, you know, they're probably doing a lot of that, wishing they had the time, but they just don't. So I wouldn't worry about it, honestly. Um, the forwards blog is, uh, this is from David Taylor, the forwards blog is incredibly helpful as a type of reference mixes. However, they aren't released on the same date that the listing closes. Is there a better way to organize? Um, I don't really understand that. I mean, I know what the forwards blog is. Um, it's a type of reference mix. So you want to go back and listen to stuff that was forwarded so you can go, oh, now I understand why my mix wasn't maybe as good as those mixes. However, they aren't released on the same date that the listing closes. Um, that's because there's a very long chain of events that happens at Taxi. Our main priority is getting the music in the client's hands, screening it well, of course, um, and then getting it in the client's hands and then notifying the members whether they've been forwarded or returned. And it's not until all that stuff takes place that we get caught up on the forwards block. So it's not really a matter, we're pretty well organized. Actually, we're very well organized. It's a time factor. It's just there's other stuff that's more important than that that has to get done first. Um, Question, uh, what if you won second place in a big song contest in 2006? It was mentioned on the Billboard Song of the Year contest website. Should it matter all after all this time to a music library? Um, the question is, Ocean Goer Music, is the song still up on the website? It's one thing to mention it. It's another thing to actually have the music on the website. If it's just a mention, like these were the winners or the second place people from 2006, I don't think that's an issue at all. Um, let's see, this one's from Edmund Red. Hey Edmund, how are you? Uh, 
Do you have any idea if there are royalties for music placed in an online show on Facebook or YouTube? Um, yeah, there are. Um, I've got to admit, I've tried so incredibly hard to understand all the different types of payments there are in the new music industry. Frankly, um, a lot of my friends who are like even music attorneys and publishers, I, I can't find anywhere. I've been looking really hard now for a couple of years at least, somewhere that explains in great detail the entirety of what all those different payments are. Like one organization will collect, there's a type of payment. If your music is on a website and it's streamed on demand, I want to hear the song, so I click on the song and it plays it for me. That's one type of payment. If you're on something else where it just music is streaming randomly, yes, you get paid for that, but that's another kind of payment. Um, if your music is played on YouTube and money is generated by ad revenue, um, yes, you get paid for that. Um, it's just all over the place. Um, and frankly, I'm not smart enough apparently to understand it as well. And funny, I'll get some people, they'll go, oh, I get it. And they'll explain to me. And I go, yeah, but what about this? Oh, I don't know about that. There's so many aspects of it now. I wish somebody would write the definitive book that explains it in plain English. Um, I know that a um, publisher friend of mine named Michael Ames and another good friend of mine, Bobby Borg, who actually used to be a taxi screener for many years, they are co-writing a book which should be coming out very soon on music publishing. And I asked Michael Ames, who's one of the smartest people I know on any subject regarding publishing, uh, he, he's like genius smart in this stuff. And I asked him if he could answer this question for me. And he sent me this incredibly detailed, great explanation. Um, and then I said, but what about this? And he went, oh, we didn't even think about that. <laughs> you know, as we were, he sent me the chapter from the book that covered this stuff. And, but they didn't cover all of it. So the stuff that I brought up, he said, I'm really appreciative that you brought that up. Now we've got to go back and rewrite the chapter. So I wish I had a better answer for you, Edmund, but the answer is yes. Um, nowadays, there are many ways to get paid for your music being used. Um, and hopefully somebody will write the definitive tome on that subject. Okay, let me go backwards now. Um, Yes, Marion's right. It helps Michael if you type the word question in all caps. Um, it just makes it stick out more in the chat room. Uh, question from Howard Cooper. When I rework a track based on a taxi on taxi feedback, should I upload the track with the same title as the version two? No, you don't need to annotate it as version two. Um, you may not want to replace the original. I, honestly, I know members that have done stuff like that where they've had two versions. It's a train wreck. Here's why it's a train wreck is a lot of times they will accidentally click the wrong version and upload it. And then they call us and say, oh my gosh, the screener kicked us back. 
it got returned and I just realized it was the wrong version. Can I send you the right version now? We're sorry, the listing's closed. We've already screened the music. We've already sent the forwards. We're sorry. Um, so honestly, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Just my two cents. Um, here's another question from Lola. Uh, is there any way to get your rights back from a song you signed for perpetuity um, but didn't get any placements for like five years or more um, with no special clause mentioned in the contract? <clears throat> that would be up to each individual library. You know, some libraries probably just like, yeah, fine, whatever, um, sure. Um, other libraries like, no, you know, just because we didn't get a placement for it in the first five years doesn't mean that somebody five years and three months won't ask for that and we pitch it and you get signed so it really just depends on the library you wouldn't have any legal grounds to do that it's really just do they have the time and the right mindset to do it for you some would some would um question from david taylor the forwards blog is incredibly uh, oh already got that one uh, oh, I got to jump way ahead here. Uh, can a keyword search feature be added to the forwards blog? Just a suggestion. That's a possibility. That's a good suggestion. Um, Bria, can you make a note and we can talk to, uh, talk to the guys? Um, about adding that in. That seems, you know, the data is already there to set a keyword search. Not a bad idea. Thanks for that, David. Um, Lola says, last question. I don't know, Lola. <laughs> uh, still a bit confused with some contract agreements because I've read on the internet that there are some exclusive contracts you signed for only some specific songs and some it's for all. Um, okay, in the music library world, you never sign an agreement to the best of my knowledge that would cover future works. If you sign, let's say with Warner Chapel, which is a publisher that mainly deals with publishing on the record side of the industry, anything you write during the term of that contract would be under their auspices. A music library signs individual songs or a collection of songs, but if you could be writing stuff, you sign exclusive, let's say there's library A, library B, library C. Library A signs Lola song exclusively. The other libraries can't have it, but you could do Michael's song at the same time or a week later, a month later, a year later. You're not under obligation for a period of time with them. Um, you're only under obligation, you're only assigning the rights to Lola's song to Library A. If you write Michael's song, you can pitch it to Library C, Library B, Library Z, doesn't matter. So on the record side, yes, you're signed to them exclusively. Anything you write during the term of that contract has to go to them. The music library world, that's not a thing. Don't worry about it. Good question, though. Um, uh, 
is that a strawberry behind me? Yes, I believe it's a strawberry and the other one's an apple. Those paintings, I believe, were painted by one of the relatives of the family that owns the apartment that we're renting. Um, John Linderman asks, which brand of headphones do your reviewers use? My current headphones are falling apart. Um, Bria, you may know this. Liz, you could probably grab a pair. I, from memory, because um, I'm now 8,800 miles away from the nearest set of taxi headphones, I believe that they're Audio-Technica AT20s, I want to say. I could be wrong about the number. Um, it's not Lola, it's Iola. Oh, got it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Iola. Um, Brad Gray. Hello, Brad. Uh, has a question. Are there the UAD interfaces that allow real-time tracking with plugins really worth it to speed up the creation process? Um, I've not used them. I've only heard great things about them. Frankly, you'd probably be better off asking that question in the forum in one of the tech sections of the Taxi Forum at forums with an S dot taxi dot com. But I have heard great things about the universal plugins or interfaces um, and the plugins that come with them. Only great stuff. Nobody has ever trashed anything uh, made by them. Um, Strawberry walls forever. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> uh, let's see. AT uh, twenties? Question mark. Uh, I know they're Audio Technica, um, but I need to know the model number. Um, if you look somewhere on there, probably in fine print on the outer shell of the headphone around the earpiece list, I think is where the number is. I don't know, I think I've got AT50s at home. I think the ones at the office are 20s. Um, okay, Gabe Katona asks, how should we approach writing, say, a cue that's based on the library sample without getting too close to the sample? Well, that's one of the reasons that many libraries probably don't want to give out samples of stuff they've already got in their catalog. They're afraid that the writer who created that thing originally will be a little ticked off that people may be getting too close. It's like, dude, I created this and now you're giving it to other people to follow my example. Um, okay, look at that, I was right. Uh, Audio-Technica ATH M20X. Um, so they are 20s. They're pretty inexpensive. I want to say they're like 35 or 40 bucks a pop. And we actually checked out a few different types of headphones and those sounded pretty darn good. Um, I personally think that they may be a little bass heavy, but that's kind of a something you run into with a lot of closed back over the ear, fully over the ear headphones is that they do tend to accentuate the bass a little bit. I've got the... ATH M50s, I believe, at home that I want to say were like 179 bucks, maybe. Um, 
And, and those are well regarded as like, a, 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 actually they're considered a pretty darn good and not too expensive headphone to mix on for home studios. But if you're trying to match what the taxi screeners listen on, go with the ATH um, M20Xs or whatever they were. But also be aware that screeners bring their own headphones. They don't only use the taxi headphones. We have them there if they forgot to bring their headphones. Some work on earbuds, others bring, I've seen people work on, um, oh gosh, uh, what are the, the noise canceling headphones? I've got some of those too. Got them 20 feet away from me in my backpack. Um, some people use those. They, they use all kinds of different stuff. Um, let's see, question from John Hope. Are co-writers established when the song is selected for placement on a forward? Are co-writers established when the song is selected for placement on a forward? I don't understand that question, John, I'm sorry. Whoa, bows, thank you. Um, yeah, the ATH um, M50s, I, I think are pretty darn good sounding headphones. Question, last week it sounded like Taxi will look through the author's online uploaded content to see if any of those would work for a request, even though the author did not explicitly submit it. True? Um, no, um, that's not true. It's, it's a little true, okay? I'm gonna try and explain this in short. Um, there are times, and it's somewhat infrequent at the moment, um, and I mean, generally speaking, um, that a music supervisor will reach out to us uh, and say, I need this kind of music and I need it in three hours. We can't publish a listing and get the stuff submitted and screened in three hours. So what we might do is we will go through, let's say it's for um, Ariana Grande type top 40 pop with a female vocal. So what we'll do is we will go back and look at the forwards from recent listings over the last few months for that type of music. And we look at the stuff that was forwarded and then our a &R, the screeners have nothing to do with this process. This is the taxi A&R staff. They'll look at the forwards, they'll listen to the stuff that was forwarded, and then they might pick three, four, five, six, seven things that they think are an appropriate fit for what the music supervisor asked for. Then they actually have to call each of those members saying, hi, it's Taxi. We have a music soup that needs something very quickly. Did you ever end up signing this song or is it still available to be licensed directly by you? Oh, it is? Great, thank you. So once we've cleared that with the members who make it to the short list, then we will send that stuff to the music supervisor along with the member's contact information and hopefully it gets used in the show or the, the film or whatever. Um, it's not something that is routinely done. 
Um, I don't want to mislead you and have you think that we routinely just comb through all the taxi member material. Uh, it's got to be a, a bona fide emergency, very short time situation. And, um, you know, they're not going to look at stuff that was forwarded three and a half years ago. They're going to look at stuff that was forwarded recently because it's fresh and it may not have been signed. Whereas the older stuff has been around longer and it might have been signed um, and it may be a little dated. So it just doesn't happen all that often that I want you to think, oh, even though I'm not making submissions, I could still get placements via taxi. It, it's not a high probability bet. That's the best way I can say it. All right. Um, Nancy Clell, Michael, are you experiencing Rockstar drink withdrawals or Trader Joe's chocolate covered coffee bean withdrawals? I'm asking for a friend. Hold on, Nancy. I can answer that question. In Israel, they have XL. No, I can't do that right now. I just had a half a cup of coffee. I'd be out of my mind. But thank you for your concern, Nancy. No, and, and you know, frankly, I don't drink them generally when I'm not doing a taxi TV or a quarantine, which by the way, I'm not gonna do any quarantinis for the next couple of weeks while I'm still here. It's just really hard to put all this together. Plus, I, like today, I was, you know, 50 miles away from here looking at, you know, at some beautiful oceanfront stuff and it's I, I don't want to have to run home from whatever I'm out doing with my family I, I'm here mainly to see my family and meet with these couple of companies um, and as much as I love you guys and and miss doing the quarantinis I don't want to have to adjust my entire family's timetable to make it back um, so sorry about that but you will see me um, when I get back to LA okay um, All right, this is from RB. Uh, do you sometimes have trap-related songs requested? I see quite many hip-hop songs, but not so many trap. Thanks for your answer, Raphael. Um, probably more trap instrumental stuff. You should probably look under the instrumental heading, Raphael. Um, I think that we get a decent, a pretty decent amount of trap-related instrumental requests not so much trap songs. Um, by the way, uh, you can go, if you wanna see kind of historically what's been asked for um, in its entirety over the last 12 months, you can go to taxi.com slash past, P-A-S-T underscore listings. Um, and that will give you an entire searchable database of every listing that Taxi has published over the last 12 months. It's updated every day. Stuff that's more than 12 months old drops off. New stuff that's within the 12 months gets added every day automatically. Um, and we do that now. We just started doing it like a month or two ago. Um, the reason we do it is we want potential new members to look and go, oh, they do get quite a few requests in my genre. And for somebody like you asking this question, if you want to see historically, like maybe how many trap listings there were under instrumental, you could just go on there and you can search by keyword. Just type in the word trap and it'll show every listing 
that's been requested or been run um, both instrumentally and song-wise. So there you go. Um, Chris Anderson asks, if you have a 50-50 co-write with another taxi member, who submits to the listing? Um, both, um, honestly, Chris, I don't know what to tell you. Probably a coin flip. It probably doesn't matter, um, but you both should submit, I guess. I mean, potentially you, you could. Um, I don't know, but I mean, there's no law against you both submitting the same thing. Um, some people probably spend the extra five bucks thinking, well, maybe one screener will forward it and another one won't. I guess that potentially could happen, although I doubt it. Um, we've actually checked stuff like, you know, pretty small probability that one would and another wouldn't. Um, and it may just be the kind of genre where there's only one screener assigned to it because the volume is kind of low. So the same screener might see it twice. Um, but bottom line is I, I do actually personally know some members that co-write stuff and just one or the other submits it. Yeah, flip a coin. Um, <laughs> Graham Meisen, uh, I actually saw you just join the other day. I saw your name. I'm doing a little work here. Uh, lazy new member here, Michael. What's a quarantini? Um, a little more than a year ago when we were pretty much everybody in the world was locked down um, we decided to start doing daily taxi tvs just so we could hang out so tuesday wednesday thursday and friday we would do these daily one hour hangouts very much like this a lot of it was just q a we talk about some silly stuff like the gophers i have in my backyard or squirrels running through the backyard um just anything and everything and we've become like a pretty tight-knit little tribe of people. Um, and eventually, as I started getting busier because the quarantine, not that I wasn't busy during quarantine, um, I knocked it down to just Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we do regular taxi TV for 90 minutes every Monday. And then every Tuesday at 4 p.m. LA time, we do a quarantini, which is a 60-minute hangout. A lot of educational stuff, some just goofy hangout stuff. But it was mostly just uh, for people to have a place to go, and people really appreciated it. And I think they've learned a lot, and we've become like a little family, and it's nice. I do kind of miss it while I'm here, but I'm, I'm with my actual family, so I don't want to take any time away from them. Um, and so now, we, yes, once I get back to L.A., we will be doing them again on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 4 o'clock. Um, you should check it out. They're pretty cool. You can see... Um, watch a couple of the archive versions online, see if it's something that would uh, appeal to you. Peter Rahill's got it. Oh, look, a squirrel. <laughs> Just saying in practice. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, I've got uh, a ring camera um, in the backyard and I get alerts when anything moves in our backyard. And every day I've been seeing squirrels all the way, 8,800 miles away. Um, Elise Ashby says she loves the community vibe. It really is. It's, it's unlike, I mean, Taxi's community is unlike any music community anywhere in the world, I believe. And the quarantine, takes it to another level. Um, let's see how we, ooh, we get six minutes left. Um, 
Wow, maybe we're out of questions. That's right, we talk about tenderloin sandwiches. People trafficking, now we haven't covered that one yet. Oh, Graham, yeah, you know, don't be afraid of the occasional late, late night. It's a fun group of people. Um, am I ready to reveal my middle name? Nah, it's not that horrible. It's just um, question: Is a ring camera something like a, out of Dick Tracy? No, it's a, a security camera. That you know, like the ring doorbell with the camera built in. These are just lights that go on with security cameras that alert me when I'm not home or if I'm lazy and don't want to get out of bed. Uh, how much longer am I staying in Israel? Um, what day is today? A little less than two more weeks. Is it officially okay to book a hotel for the rally? I wouldn't book it. I need to get back to LA. Um, the people at the Westin told me to contact the them upon my return so that we can talk about 2022, the contract for 2022. I got to say, I hung up the phone as I was driving to the airport. I remember thinking, hmm, they didn't mention 2021. I, and I actually sent an email that said, can we get together and just talk about all this stuff? And they said, yes. So I think they're waiting like I am to see, you know, what the, any federal rules about large gatherings or any state or city rules. California has been among, amongst the most locked down states. Frankly, things are changing pretty quickly. Um, our governor is loosening the purse strings, and not the purse strings, he's loosening the handcuffs as it were, because uh, they got enough signatures to have a recall election. So I think he's trying to save his butt by trying to loosen up on some of the maybe overzealous stuff that he did for COVID, I don't know. Hard to say, but I will tell you that I should have an answer, you know, like I would imagine by June 1st. Um, yeah, you know, we're hoping we can do a real road rally. I just, I'm, I'm really worried, as I mentioned last week, you know, what happens if they, the hotel says, yeah, you can do it, but there are restrictions. You can only have 500 people in the ballroom. How do we pick 500? I mean, we have, you know, over 2,000 people that show up for the road rally and the ballroom holds about 1,000. How do I tell the other 500 people that want to be in the ballroom for a certain panel that they can't come in? Um, what about, you know, mingling at the bar? Um, what about being in elevators or in crowded classrooms or the luncheons? There are a lot of things I need answers to before I can commit. And, and I'll run it by you guys before a final decision is made. Uh, that's something that we'll definitely discuss on the quarantinis, maybe on a taxi TV. Um, we're still in lockdown in Montreal. I've got to say things are very open here in Israel. Um, they just lifted. It was very, very difficult for us to come here. We had to get tested before we got on the plane, um, had to get tested when we got off the plane, um, had to get an antibody test, um, I think it's three days after arrival. 
Um, and once you can prove that you've got a certain level of antibodies, they don't care if you've had, um, they won't take anybody's word for it if you've had a vaccine, because I assume that they think that you could easily, um, you know, bootleg a, 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 the little card that says you've had the vaccine. So they actually make you go to a hospital, take a blood test um, to see if you've got um, enough antibodies and you have to reach a certain level of antibodies before you're allowed to go into restaurants, let's say, things like that. Um, I went to eat at a McDonald's the other day and I hadn't gotten my results back yet. I got the result, but I didn't have the little thing on my phone and they wouldn't let me eat inside the McDonald's. I could go in there to order, but I couldn't eat in. Um, and Nancy Colossus, thanks for staying up for Taxi TV. You look very tanned and rested. Um, I haven't been to a beach. I mean, I've walked on beaches. I've been walking around outside a lot yesterday or no what day is today today is monday um saturday my wife and i went for a two-hour walk in the middle of the day just around the area we're staying in and uh i think i got most of this just by walking around frankly i didn't put any sunscreen on um darren moss well, hey darren how are you uh, Darren wants to know, is it worth submitting the same song twice the same listing on the off chance one screener might forward it and another won't? Um, I know people have tried that and frankly only rarely do we get complaints from people going, it was forwarded by one and not by the other. Um, it scares me a little bit, but frankly a lot of times it's one screener if it's a listing that we don't get a gazillion submissions for. If it's a listing where we get, you know, a couple hundred to many hundreds, we will have multiple screeners. If it's like under a hundred submissions um, and the time pressure isn't intense, one screener will probably handle the load on that. So that one screener would probably get the same submission twice and then go, dude, you already submitted this. They may give you additional feedback on it. You know, the first time they may talk about the vocal performance. Second time they may talk about the lyric just because they they're hearing it again. So who knows? I don't have great advice for you on that, Darren. Um, Marion says, the lighting in Israel seems better than your house. Um, I've got two ring lights, one that's about the size, I think I told you this last week, one that's about the size of a salad plate, another one that's the size of a bagel. And they're both on opposite sides of my, uh, see the shadows? They are right there next to the screen on my laptop. And I've got the laptop sitting on a 12 inch high box, very high tech, um, <laughs> my portable studio. I was a little worried trying to go through security. I put this in my carry-on because I didn't want it to get damaged, uh, you know, in the cargo holder. Uh, anyway, I was worried that I was gonna you know, be harassed going through, because uh, they're really picky about, uh, you know, security stuff on planes to Israel, really picky. But nope, they said, oh, we see these things all the time. Ah, um, oh, you're welcome, Edmund. Let's see, Bill Washington says, 
Uh, sorry about the ignorant question. I found I'm, I found it. I need on the links on my membership page. I understand why you didn't answer. Everyone on here aren't taxi members. That's probably true. Um, I think I missed the question though. Oh, that's a different case. Marion says, hey, I had that happen to me. Darren Moss, the Japanese instrumental, got forwarded to one listing, but different screener didn't forward it to the next listing. Probably different set of circumstances. They might have both been for Japanese instrumentals, but maybe there was something, some other mitigating factor. Um, Nancy Coyle says, great show. Thank you, Michael. Thank you guys for hanging out with me. Um, question from Bill Washington. I stumbled across it once, but there's a page on the site that allows us to hear which songs are forwarded. Which is it? Oh, okay. That's the, the forwards blog. Um, and you can also hear it on the forum. If you go to the taxi forum at forums.taxi.com. Um, did I say that right? I don't know, I'm loopy at this point. Anyway, um, Liz will post links um, to the forum and to um, the forwards blog. Uh, oh, we're over time. I didn't even realize that. Anyway, um, all right, you guys. Well, been great hanging out with you. Great questions tonight, like last week. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to do next week. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying it. We can't do Q&A every week, but it's great that I'm getting to answer questions from people outside of the U.S. Um, Blog.taxi.com slash forward, yep, and forums.taxi.com. So uh, I will see you guys next week. Um, if you guys would be so kind... And I can't do any shows where I have a guest because I have very limited bandwidth in the apartment we're staying in. I even came with a 50-foot Ethernet cable. Uh, that's how well prepared I was for this. But the bandwidth is just like right on the verge of not being enough. And I know it's not enough for me to have a guest. Otherwise, I would have a guest. So if you can think of any topics that would make a great show, please post them in the comment section. Um, also... Give us a thumbs up if you like these shows. I'd really appreciate that. If you're not currently a subscriber to the taxi um, shows, um, be a subscriber. It's free. And with that, let's see. Ooh, I've got... Well, let me get back to my mail so I can play you the outro stuff. Let me see if I can find it again. Oh my goodness, where did it go? Okay. Here we go. Bye, you guys. See you next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye-bye.